What's going on, everybody? It's your boy 1K. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Free Game Podcast. I'm really excited for you to get into this content that we have for you today. But before we do so, please remember to like, share, subscribe, and comment. Let's get into it. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy 1K. Welcome to another episode of the Free Game Podcast. For our podcast today, you know, I got a, a good friend of mine, former uh, teammate, former colleague, uh, Mr. Larry Gibson. Larry, how you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm doing pretty good. You're not complaining. How about yourself? I'm good, man. Thank you, man. Thank you for taking some time to, you know, sit and talk with us. Uh, tell the people a little about who you are and what it is that you do. Hey, I'm uh, Larry Gibson. For the past four years, I've been teaching ninth grade math. And I've been the head coach, the head boys coach of a track team here in Charlotte. And uh, before then, I was a college track and field athlete at Cornell University. And before that, I was um, I was a student athlete at Philip O'Berry, the, the same high school that I've uh, been teaching at for the past four years to teach for America. Gotcha. Now, let's, before we uh, dive into, you know, like you said, you're teaching, you're track coach, you ran track. Uh, talk a little bit about what your inspiration was uh, for, you know, accomplishing accomplishing your goals and, and doing the things you've done thus far in your, your young life. Well, honestly, I can say that um, I am most thankful for, you know, being, you know, having good camaraderie and being placed on teams, things of that nature at a young age. Um, just like a lot of a lot of people uh, from this area, you know, I came up from a family that, you know, my family, my, my parents provided, you know, as best they could. They provided very well for us. But my extended family is a little rough. So um, in order to, you know, not be hanging around my cousins all the time and um, uh, for different reasons, you know, whether it be like gangbanging, selling drugs, things like that, you know, they, my parents put me into a lot of sports. And um, the sports kind of blessed me with the competitive nature. And um, I kind of rode that competitive nature in the classroom and obviously, in sports uh all the way up to high school and then high school you know um coming in high school i had a teacher to tell me in eighth grade look man you're really smart you know you're just a tad immature if you really focus up and you make you know all a's and a couple b's and no c's in high school you can go anywhere you want to uh for free probably and that you know that triggered my mind to go see okay why is it so important to go to college for free looked at the cost of attendance for some schools that I was really interested in to play, you know, football at or to, you know, run track at on a collegiate level. And I saw, you know, numbers in 50,000 and above, you know, for a year, yearly tuition. And so every single day, whenever I worked out, whether it be football, wrestling or track uh, or in the classroom, I knew that every single thing I did was to, to get that money, you know, for, for college. So I'll say my, um, my, my biggest motivation was one, attaining scholarship, but two, you know, being the best that I could be, you know, like good, better, best, never let them rest. You're good as your better, your better is your best, that type of thing. Um, I was told things like that growing up, you know, and uh, kind of influenced to really, you know, be the best that I could be. So I just wanted to kind of impress myself and, you know, not say that I left any stones unturned. Definitely, and you definitely impressed not only yourself, but you impressed a lot of other people, man. Starting out in high school, um, a three-sport athlete, football, wrestling, track, over 
10, 10 plus state championships in track, over 100 wins in wrestling, and numerous big plays on the football field. I mean, you had a heck of a high school athletic career, wouldn't you say? Uh, yes. Uh, when you say it like that, I definitely did. But looking back, like when I was in it, I didn't think like that. You know, it was just, you know, day by day, you know, living in the moment and, you know, building towards something. But looking back on it, I can say it's something I can hang my hat on for sure. Now, y'all, y'all listen to Larry, man. He's a humble guy. I give him that. But, you know, high school, when we, when I got there, I was a freshman. Uh, you know, we used to think Larry's a little crazy. You know, there's this running joke that we got. He used to purposely try to scare freshmen by hitting them with his helmet off. And, you know, again, humble guy, very nice guy when you get to that point with him. But, you know, he, he, he can be crazy, too. You know, that's that's Larry for you. That's, that's Larry for you. <laughs> Those are good times, man. It was uh, it was all a mind game with the freshmen. And uh, it worked for, I'll say, probably 95% of the class. There's a couple of y'all, you in particular, where, you know, you didn't really just back down or, you know, uh, tuck your tail. You know, y'all kind of came back at me. And I knew that y'all would be something special, you know, because at the end of the day, that's what it was going to take for us, for you to be on the team and for you to help us win. So that's what it was about. Absolutely. Now, you had success on the field, on the mat, on the track, but you also were able to succeed in the classroom, which uh, ended up getting you a, a scholarship to go to Cornell Ivy League School. Um, talk a little bit about your uh, decision to commit to Cornell. Okay. Um, yeah, so my decision to commit to Cornell uh, was kind of based on a couple of things. Well, one, it was based on the fact that I did not know what Cornell was uh, before my senior year of high school. I knew what the Ivy League was, but I only really knew like Harvard and Princeton, uh, maybe Yale at the time. I didn't really know that there was other schools in the Ivy League. Um, nobody was pressing me to know, even though we... The, I was in the top 10, top 5% of the class academically. The uh, the school, the counselors, things like that weren't really forcing us to do that. Like, you know what? You can get a full ride to any HBC you want, you know, and that would have been awesome. However, um, I also wanted to, you know, be the best I could be in track and uh, on the college level. And I had a coach say, you know, Larry, I think you should go to the Ivy League. You know, and I just told him in passing, yeah, send me to the one closer to the South. He said, okay, uh, you're going to have two, two Ivy League schools, which none of them are in the South. They're all cold, really, really cold, right? And so he was like, uh, okay, Cornell and Columbia are going to call you tonight. I talked to Cornell first and set up a visit. When I called Columbia, they were like, wow, you talked to Cornell tonight? Uh, and they were like, okay, well, we don't want to waste your time. You know, we'll talk to you another time if you don't decide to go to Cornell. And they said that because... Columbia was the last place team in the uh, conference and Cornell was the first place team in the conference as far as track goes. Um, so I went up there on a visit and when I went up there on a visit, everybody was very passionate about something. Like these are some of the most, you know, brilliant people in the world. And the best thing about Ivy League to me was the fact that Ivy League schools could literally just take people with the perfect test scores and the perfect uh, GPA every single year and fill their, fill their school, right? But those kids might be a tad weird if they did that, you know? <laughs> yeah, you so what the best, Right. So the best thing the Ivy League does is they actually interview every single applicant who has a chance to get in. And so there was like a good balance. You know, like a lot of people say, you got a lot of people who have book smarts but not street smarts and common sense. Um... 
that doesn't really exist in the Ivy League because everybody's interviewed. So we know the bookmarks are there before the interview, but during the interview, they get to see, you know, if you got common sense. Uh, but past all of that, I decided to go to Cornell simply because a lot of people do not know this. And this is it's bad that people don't know this. Uh, but the Ivy League schools do not do athletic scholarships. The Ivy League does need based does need based scholarships. Right. Mm-hmm. So because my parents made under a certain amount of money, I went for practically free all four years. And it, I could have went up there and decided I did not want to play a sport a single day on campus. And my financial aid would not have changed because it was not based on my athletic performance at all. It was based on my, my parents, uh, my parents' income. And so that was an easy reason to choose Cornell because I knew I was always going to have a guaranteed, you know, financial aid taken care of. And then also Cornell was top 14 in the world academically and top 25 in the country in track. And there was just no other school that was the same like that. Now, was, was Cornell a little bit of a culture shock for you when you got there? <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. So, uh, coming from coming from the west side of Charlotte, you know, I grew up around a whole lot of black people. Um, high school was mostly black, you know, had some Hispanics there. Uh, a lot of white people left, left um, my high school our freshman year when they came in. Um, and so, going into college where... It's like 11% black people. But in the Ivy League, when they say it's 11% black people, they're talking not only about like people who are black from the United States, but they're talking about uh, people from Africa or people from the Middle East that are black or brown that have, you know, they may be the first generation in America or maybe even second generation at best, but they count that as black. And it's actually more people from the Caribbean, Africa or Middle East that are uh, that are technically called black at Ivy League school than are actually black people. And that's only 11 percent. Everybody else pretty much was was white or Asian. And so I had never really been around that. Uh, the socioeconomic status was completely different coming from a place where I would say the average income, you know, in my neighborhood probably was less than one hundred thousand dollars for both parents combined. Well, let well below that to, you know, a school where Every like there's a lot of trust fund babies and all kinds of stuff like that. People have all kinds of boats, parents driving Bugattis to campus. It was a huge culture shock. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, it's sometimes it's good, you know, to to get to experience that to show that you know um, where we come from, whether it be where you grew up on the west side or where I grew up, you know, northeast Charlotte. That's not all that we are limited to. There's so much more for us in this world if we can apply ourselves and, and really work for those things, you know? Yeah, that's a big fact. That's a big fact, yeah. Um, I will say that the hard work I put in, and not only hard work because I feel like a lot of us have the ability to work hard, but uh, my ability to work smart simply because I was given certain information, you know, uh, at you know the right time. So me being able to work smart put me in a situation to where I was exposed to a, a whole new world when I got to college. Like I was able to like Cornell University bought my passport and sent me over to England for a couple track meets. And that was amazing to go over there, you know, all expense paid and just kind of immerse in a different culture and immerse myself into a different culture. So 
Yeah, man, uh, the culture shock was real, but I'm glad it happened and it really opened up my eyes. Like I was able to step outside of a bubble that I had been thinking inside of for my whole life that I didn't even know I was inside of. Absolutely. And since you mentioned track, man, let's go ahead and dive into your collegiate track career. You know, tell us a little bit about the the highs and lows of uh, running track up there in the cold. <laughs> so first off, I'll say this. Uh, anybody that's considering going to a school uh, more northern or more cold than where you're from for college and you run track, uh, make sure you think twice simply because it's so much easier to run a fast sprint time in the heat than it is in the cold. And that does take effect, you know, on training and all kinds of things. But um, my freshman year, I came in there and I thought that working hard was a skill. Everybody who knew me said, oh, Larry, going to work hard, you know. Uh, but when you get to college, everybody on the D1 level is putting in that type of work. Well, at least everybody on my team was for sure. And so um, it's kind of like getting out the mud all over again, you know, kind of being a follower instead of a leader again. And my freshman year, I think I got fourth in the Ivy League in the 400 meter dash. And I was in t I was terribly upset because I hadn't lost many 400 meter races in high school. I was uh, multiple time state champion and all American, all kinds of stuff like that. And so it kind of hurt. And so I uh, came back home for the summer after my freshman year and I really just went zero dog 30. And I just zoned in and just really put in a, a, a like a, just a crazy level of work because I would rather, I told my coach before I left that, that year for the summer, I told him I would rather risk it all trying to be great than to play it safe and just be good. And so that's what I was doing. And in sophomore year, um, I ended up winning the Ivy League championship at the 200 meter dash and uh, getting second in the 400 meter dash and being able to compete in the first round of NCAAs in the four by one, the four by four and the 200. I didn't make the finals in NCAAs in any of those events, but it was great you know, to finally be there. And then uh, after winning that, that 200 meter dash in the Ivy League, like my teammates started looking at me different. At first I was just, you know, another kid, you know, that they didn't really have anything in common with simply because, you know, I was black and from a different background and then, you know, I was kind of like to the wayside to them. But once I won that championship, my, my voice now mattered, you know, like what I what I thought mattered now at this point. So um, moving on to junior year, I'm now a leader on the team and all stuff like that, but I ended up getting hurt pulled my hamstring twice um, and I was not able to be there for my teammates and college sports is more of a what have you done for me lately type of game so me missing my whole junior year athletically you know there's there's a whole you know bit of freshmen that just came in that year and I'm a leader on the team so it's my job to kind of make sure that they're doing the right things and living the right way in order to be the best athlete that they can be and they're like, Larry, y'all's getting on us, man. But we never seen you do anything. Like to them, you're good. But to us, you have done nothing. We don't know you, you know, as a good athlete. You know, things like that. We don't know you as a helper on this team. You know, you just seem like somebody that's just getting on us all the time. And I had to look into myself. I had to be take an introspective look and say, Wow, they're right. I haven't done anything to really garner their respect. You know, except be older than them at this point. And so uh, coming into senior year kind of went back into that mama mentality like Kobe would say you know and uh ended up coming out on top my senior year winning the Ivy League championship again in 200 meter dash making it back to the first round of NCAAs and uh, yeah after that you know 
kind of just rolled off into the sunset. It was nice to be able to win my last like meaningful collegiate race and go out on top with my team and score the most points in Ivy League history as a team. Like it was, it was a beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely, man. There's nothing like going out on top for sure. And you know, you had a a fairly successful running career, but even you had even more success, you know, outside of track and and what you what you're trying to do with your life. Um, you know, after you graduated Cornell, you came back to the city and started teaching um, at your alma mater, Philbo Berry. You know, tell us a little bit about what made you want to get into teaching. <laughs> so, I'll say that in high school, so I had a teacher in eighth grade who really, who really, you know, poured into me and told me, you know, the, the meaning of high school and how important it was to, to you know, do well. Right. And then when I got to high school, you know, being a little immature, you know, just any 13, 14 year old is, I had a couple of teachers who really, you know, took a liking to me for what reason I don't know. Out of all the energy, man, it's crazy. But, you know, they, they, they banged with me, I guess. And so they kind of guided me and um, they made sure that I was on my stuff. And so I wanted to pay that forward. You know, I got to Cornell and I studied business. And part of studying business, you not only learn how to make the rich get richer, but you also see the way they teach it at Cornell. You also see who, who, you know, does not benefit from that system. So if the rich is going to get richer, then I don't have to tell you the other half of that, you know, but the poor is going to get poor. And that's not a system that I wanted to be a part of, you know. Um, So I knew I did not want to go straight into corporate America and do some job that I would have deemed meaningless. I wanted to do something I was going to pay forward, you know. And so I was like, okay, the best way to do that is to teach because these teachers really, you know, took a liking to me. And so that's how I came into teaching. And I will say that teaching was probably more rewarding than I thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I find that same. I, I wanted to, you know, give back. Teaching wasn't in my original plans, but, you know, I wanted to be what, you know, my past teachers were to me for somebody else. So that's definitely why I got into you. So I feel you, you know, in that regard. But um, it's sad to say, you know, you've been teaching for a minute and, you know, you're getting ready to leave us and go into law school, which is, you know, great that you want to law school to better yourself and to make a bigger impact on the world. But before we talk about law school, um, you were the track coach as well at Barry. And, you know, we talked about you winning 10 state championships as a runner when you was in high school, but to come back and now you're winning state championships as a coach. I mean, the title of your episode is Champion at Heart because obviously you know what it takes to win. So, you know, tell us a little bit about um, what it was like coaching and, you know, not only uh, in winning state championships um, in both roles at your uh, alma mater. Well, I'll say this. Uh, winning state championships as an athlete uh, was way easier than winning state championships as a coach. Uh, because as a coach, it's all about how you influence the people around you, you know, how you influence people that look up to you. And um, as a young coach, sometimes it's hard to grasp how much, you know, a student athlete may look up to you, you know, because um, you're like, I don't see myself as a father figure or uncle figure to these kids, but you never know what a kid sees you as because you don't know, you know, how they were conditioned growing up with their coaches. Or you don't know what's at home for them, you know, every single one. So <clears throat> I had to wear a lot of hats and I had to 
uh, learn how to be a great coach to kids from the age of 14 to 17. You know, it's nothing like leading your peers in college because they're just younger and, you know, they're not college athletes yet. Uh, but I will say this. I was blessed with a great group of kids, like the group of kids that I that I was able to coach. Um, they're they're resolute. You know, they, they got heart, you know, they're um, they're kind of what like the old school coaches would have like, you know, all these kids going to work hard. This kid's not going to be a crybaby type of thing. Right. And so um, with the group of kids that I had, you know, it was just it was like, OK, what can I use? How can I use myself? to instill a certain mindset into them without just pushing that mindset. I think the biggest thing is, and coaching is, or the biggest thing in just teaching anybody, period, or having an impact on somebody's mindset is getting them to think of the idea themselves instead of just feeding it to them, right? right. So I, I think the best thing about being a high school coach, you have four years with the kid, so you don't have to try to, you know, just you know, make flash in a pan, you get time to really build a wall, like to really lay brick by brick to build the perfect wall with that kid, you know? So year after year, it's just like lesson on top of lesson and the kids, they, you know, they want it, but then they understand what it means to want it. And they understand, understand what it means to actually go for it and the type of work that it takes because at the end of the day, they know that there's a thousand other kids in the state that has the same goal as them and that those kids deserve the same outcome that they deserve so how are you going to set yourself apart you know and then if you do set yourself apart how do you like remain keep uh you know keep your humility with your dignity you know have humbleness and pride at the same time you know and uh those are the type of lessons that i like to teach on the track and it's kind of easy to teach them in track uh because whenever a kid is doing a workout and they are near like they're what what they feel is a near death experience then you can like throw a life lesson in there and they're like okay i got one more in me coach i got one more <laughs> and you know that's a it's a beautiful thing it's a heartfelt moment for the coach and for the athlete and it just builds a tight bond and i can say that any of my kids would literally run through a wall you know for me if it's in their because they know it's in their best interest too and that's just the trust I was able to build with my kids is uh, that's something I'm, I'm proud of. Yeah, those relationships that you build, man, are so important, not only on the track, but in life. And I mean, I, I, I know because I know you personally that, you know, you built these great rapports with not only the, your track kids, but your students. And you really serve as a role model to them. I mean, you served as a mentor to me when I first got there. You know, you gave me plenty of words of advice to help push me forward. So I can only imagine what it's like, you know, being coached by you in that regard. Um, but like I said, man, you know, you're moving on to bigger and better things and uh, you're going back to law school. You got accepted into Georgetown Law School. Um, what made you wanted to get out of teaching and go into law school? Uh, so I made that decision because one, I, I knew that I wanted to pay it for it, but I knew also that I did not want to teach forever. And that was a personal decision uh, simply based off of my skill set and how I saw myself kind of growing into the future. And um, I chose, I chose, um, I chose to move on from teaching simply because in my years of teaching, I've impacted hundreds of kids um, directly, you know, firsthand. Now there's been, you know, a couple thousand of kids that I've seen at Barry, you know, over the past four years, but 
I've interacted with hundreds in the classroom and, you know, through track and other sports. However, you look at the social climate that we have in today's today's world, you know, this is something where I, I pride myself on knowing history. I pride myself on especially knowing black, you know, black American history. And so I saw I saw everything coming that's that's happening now. And I knew that legislation was the best way to to kind of impact the world that we live in. Uh, because at the end of the day, people can be mad all they want to, but until legislation changes, until policy and law changes, things won't have to change, you know, on a wide scale. So, with that being said, I, I decided to go to law school because in the future, I can impact hundreds of thousands of people from different communities, whereas in teaching, you know, I'm making a really profound impact on hundreds of kids, you know, so this is a trade-off for me. Absolutely. And I think that you will do that, man. You know, I, I know that you have a passion after reading your personal statement that you use uh, um, for Georgetown and just knowing that you really do have a passion for change and you want to make the biggest impact. And we need more young black males like yourself and young black women to be in these positions to help facilitate that change. So what you're doing is great, man. And on behalf of everybody, you know, we greatly appreciate, you know, what you're trying to do for the community. Um now, before I let you go, man, do you have any other words of advice to anybody who wants to follow in your footsteps, whether it be about coaching track, running track, you know, choosing college and going to the Ivy League, getting into law school? Um, I know you didn't drop a couple gems on this, but you got anything else for us, for the people? I'll say uh, the one thing, I, well, a couple of things I'll say is, one, know your worth and charge tax, which means, you know, know what you deserve but then also ask for even more than that. Like, there's no problem with asking, you know, why not or why why I can't have something. You know, there's no reason. There's there's no shame in aspiring to to have more or to be more. You know, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I'll also say that you know work you know work ethic is gonna take you wherever you want to be. Whatever you want, work like you already have it. Work like work like you already in that role. Work like you're already there. If you want to be a D1 athlete, understand what it takes to be a D1 athlete in college. Look at how they work and go ahead and start putting that amount of work, you know, while you're in high school. And at some point, you may just be that D1 athlete. If your goal is to, you know, make it somewhere on academic uh, scholarship, understand the rigor of college class and go ahead and start, you know, treating yourself as if you're taking college classes and putting that amount of work. And if you do that, I guarantee that you'll make, you know, much better grades in high school than you would if you didn't. Um, at the end of the day, just be all that you can be, and don't don't put a don't put a cap on yourself. Do not limit yourself. Uh, also, do your research. Like, this. do your research. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Like, you don't know what you don't know, and that's 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 a sad reality, but. The more questions you ask, you know, you might get a better idea. So to anybody out there that's that listening to this, just, just do your best to put yourself around people that are going to feed into you, that are going to feed you. Uh, nobody's self-made. I would never sit on here and say that I made it to where I am by myself. I just asked somebody for advice yesterday. <laughs> so so it's, it's always somebody to talk to, somebody, you know, if you're aspiring to do something, it's always somebody to talk to out to and learn something so take those opportunities don't be shy about it you know be humble 
step up to them and, you know, go about your business that way. Yeah. Well, Larry, man, we greatly appreciate, you know what I'm saying, you taking the time to talk with us. Um, I know you got some big things coming in the future, and we really look forward to seeing you be successful in making that change in the world, man. Thank you again. Yeah, no problem at all, man. Anything for you, 1K. Anytime, <laughs> anytime man. Anytime. Well, man, signing off from the Free Game Podcast, your boy 1K. Stay safe and be blessed. We'll catch you next time.